Hello and welcome to the History of Fun, where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. My name is Russ Frustick, <laughs> and uh, that took a few tries. Um, welcome to another uh, delightful episode. Uh, this is kind of a special episode. We had actually recorded an episode before, which was officially Chris Plant's return episode after being on paternity leave for several, several weeks. Um, but uh, Back, we baby. Yeah, there was a baby. So the um, but 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 given the headlines that have been dominating, we thought we'd do this very special episode. And joining me today is Allegra Frank. Hey, Allegra. Hey. And Christopher Plant, who is here to, uh, like a Law and Order episode, uh-huh. pull the stories from the headlines and deliver them to you in the most Gen-gen. fascinating and palpable way possible. The Dick Wolf of Polygon, Chris Plant. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds deeply offensive. <laughs> Until I remember that's a real person's name. He's the producer of Law and Order. Oh my god! Uh, it's like a penny arcade controversy. Uh, here's what I've got for you. Are you ready? A little, yes. a little, uh, uh, aperitif, uh, appetizer, and a mousse bouche, if you will. <laughs> Today's episode has an animatronic giraffe. It has a, something called a category killer, a company so big, the rest of the uh, commercial category is killed. I believe it was the first one to ever do this. And Whoa. a tragic ending. Aww. Oh, yeah, no. Tragedy. Ending. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to um, end on a really good note, right? Um... <laughs> He said a tragic oh, ending. That, I don't know if you have ever seen a tragedy. Yeah, but is there like a stinger after the credits where like they hint at good news? Okay, so this is the story of <laughs> Toys R Us. And if you haven't heard anything about them, don't Google it right now because <laughs> spoilers ahead. Um, it, Toys R Us was founded by a man named Charles Lazarus. Uh, he served in World War II as first round of trivia. What did he do in World War II? Um, uh, come on. He was an improv comic. No. Okay, interesting guess, but no. I'm going to guess he was in Requisitions. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's, that is a sincere effort. That is wrong. Oh. Um, he, he was a cryptologist. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? That's it is. Cool. Yeah. So after breaking, the war. Wh- wh- yeah. He was breaking what? Like Nazi subcodes and stuff yeah, like I, that? I, I think you would uh, assume that. Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe he worked on in the Pacific Front theater. Okay. That's the right word. That was the um, other one. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be the other area. Um, anyway, after the war, uh, he wanted to become an entrepreneur like his dad who owned a bicycle shop uh, in Washington, D.C. And he was like, mm, what, do, what do I want? Um, well, I know that coming out of the war, everybody who I, who I knew uh, in the war was like, I'm going to go home, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have some kids, I'm going to live the American dream. And he's like, I got it doll furniture and they were like no close <laughs> and he's like oh no sorry not that um children's materials cribs and they're like yes correct that's what you need to do um so in 1948 in washington dc uh 
in or above, depending on who you source, that bicycle shop, he opens a children's bargain town. And it is a children's uh, supply shop. Mostly sells like stuff for parents, though, like cribs. Um, It's like a bye bye baby. The but like tiny. More no, like there's a, a there's a store. Us. Yeah, babies are us. Bye bye baby. Those are two. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Baby sure. stores. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Uh, I, I'm gonna quote the uh, Washington Post here because this is a big part of the origin story, and uh, obviously I'll get to it at the end. But the Washington Post uh, has done a good amount of reporting on Charles Lazarus and Toys R Us from even way back in the day. Uh, from that story, when a parent came back to buy another toy after the first one broke, Lazarus had an epiphany. He might only sell one crib to a family, but toy customers, toy customers would keep them coming back. So this is pretty smart. He like sees that toys, you know, one parents are going to like be in regularly to buy them, but also kids are like fools like actual idiots like and i have a baby now so i can say this and it's like okay but they're so dumb they break <laughs> everything that's good for them you give them something they're like this is great and then they immediately break it so if you you know coming out of the war uh, people are about to have a lot more money you're like i know what i'll do i'm gonna open a company where i am selling it to fools who break the things that they like so they buy more of them which is a big big idea so it he, sort of he, encourages people to like him specifically to make your toys. Interesting. Uh, maybe we're not going to get too deep into that, but a quick <laughs> conspiracy theory. Um, so he shifts to toys. He's like, this is great. I'm going to get rich. Um, but this bicycle shop, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I am going to move into the supermarket next door. Um, and this is like, was that, a, let me ask, was that just because he like needed more space or no, was, I think, it, I think it's, I think he wanted more space and he wanted options. So this is, I mean, this is the heart of Toys R Us, like everything else. He's going to do a lot of very, very, very smart things, but this is the like defining moment or defining decision for him because at the time toy stores were very, um, small they were usually owned locally their mom and pop they were like very designed they were meant to be like every ounce of it was supposed to be enticing kind of like fao or not uh what's the the one in big uh fao shorts Shorts. yeah fao shorts like a small small version of that but like very you know like oh it's a place for kids and he his approach was very pragmatic he said you know like it'll be very bare bones uh it'll just be long long rows of just tons and tons of options and just by overwhelming the child that will be like what is exciting and enticing and he was very very right um essentially in no time people were not able to even find parking uh near the shop uh yeah it was it was pretty wild is it still called Children's Buy or whatever it was? Bizarre of Children? <laughs> children's Bizarre So I believe during this period, he's actually experiencing with a handful of different names. But in 1957, just a, a little bit, mm, a little bit later, uh, he opens the second shop, and that one is called Toys R Us. And from Spelled the, the same way? 
Yeah, with the R is backward. Did he mean to do that? Yeah, he did. <laughs> because again, kids are fools. Um, they're, they're they don't, brains don't They don't work the right way. He got so a he, discount on the backwards R. There was no demand for it. So the sign company was like, yeah, we'll give it to you five, five bucks. We don't need it. <laughs> I like that you think it's backwards. And then he like could have just flipped it back. I no. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be a backwards R. Um, I found this really interesting from history.com. Uh, this is just going to be a, a quote from this, from a feature they did on it. But Richard Gottlieb, founder of Global Toy Experts, sees Lazarus as part of a bigger wave of entrepreneurship that took hold in post-war years. And this is a quote from Gottlieb. The modern American toy industry was really created by Jewish soldiers coming back from the war, he says. Other Jewish industry superstars include Isaac Heller, who converted military surplus into toys for boys in the 1950s, Elliot Handler, the founder of Mattel, and oh. Milton Levine, creator of the wildly popular Milton's Ant Farm, which was a hit with kids <laughs> during the 1950s and 60s. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I had not put together that so much of the toy industry was former American Jewish soldiers from World yeah. War II. That's it's cool. like, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I'm going to go into the Toys R Us model. This is why, why Toys R Us worked. Um, and obviously the department store thing is a part of it. So yeah, it's modeled after supermarkets, tons of stuff, big displays, long aisles. Um, and that had like all these other kind of secondary benefits uh, other than like children literally getting lost in the sheer amount of stuff. Uh, buying in bulk for these large stores allowed for uh, Lazarus to lower prices. Sure. So since he was, you know, he could say, I'm not just going to stock five items here. Um, also, this is before malls and the discounts that like we think of that kind of came with malls. So at the time, one, anything in this format was unusual, like whether it was clothes or or toys or anything selling in this kind of like giant wholesale format was brand new um but specifically for toys it was innovative because toys at that point were a holiday thing um this is from huh. entrepreneur department stores which and dominated birthdays what yeah yeah i mean birthdays also i think even that is like more of a modern idea what do like, kids get well you got like a toy oh so, what a horror show that was. <laughs> this is from entrepreneur department stores, which dominated the toy business at the time, made 70% of their sales during the six weeks before Christmas. So the idea oh, of like, yeah. selling toys year-round was new. And it also kind of happened, here's the, I guess, accidental magic of it all, being right place, right time. Um, TV helped. Like we already talked about Mr. Potato Head uh, yeah, yeah. in a previous episode. Kids were suddenly seeing commercials for toys, and mm. even if it was like the middle of spring, there were suddenly must-have toys. Did Toys R Us have its like own commercials, or they were just relying on toys having? Oh, commercials? don't worry, we'll be getting to that <laughs> very soon. Um, this is uh from another Washington Post article citing the real toy story inside the ruthless battle for America's youngest consumers. Uh, quote from mm -hmm. that book. Lazarus offered toy man manufacturers the tantalizing picture of year-round toy sales and the ability to produce 12 months a year, Eric Clark wrote in this book. Uh, but for that, he could extract a price, and he did. 
Instead of paying for products right away, Lazarus forced toy makers to take payments l- months later. He also demanded exclusives in early releases, and he made them essentially advertise for Toys R Us. So it was like, well, if you want to get this toy, you're going to have to give it to us first, and then when you're promoting it, you're going to send pe- people like our way. So I don't understand why would they be willing to pay later just for the store, like being able to be in the store? Yeah, because it was like the one place, you know, the value of a Toys R Us as they were ramping these up was, you know, one Toys R Us probably stocked. I don't know. I mean, this is now speculation, but I'm guessing like 10, 20 X what a normal toy store is stocked. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the ad you could just sell to them as a single buyer rather than having to make individual deals with each mom and pop shop. Yeah. So lots of advantages. Um, for in terms of like what he gave to the customer, this is another thing from uh, Richard Gottlieb. He basically was capturing this is their, Gottlieb's idea that there is this American sense of abundance because America, again, we talked about this with Mr. Potato Head, but coming off of the war and the depression, suddenly America's like, hey, we love it when there's too much. Uh, it's the origins of like the modern American idea of like it's only American yeah. if you cover your steak in a mound of ketchup. Um, too much. That's how we live our life. And the idea is that Toys R Us was one of the first shops to like really capture this idea of, hey, you, sure, you don't want most of this, but just being surrounded by it makes you feel good because you feel like yeah. a king. Um, so 1966, we're moving forward. Uh, at this point, Lazarus has four stores selling about $12 million of toys a year. So that's why I mean wow. when I say toy makers want to cooperate with him. And remember, this is 66. $12 million is a lot of money. That's yeah. crazy. Um, he sells to interstate sales for $7.5 million in cash and becomes the head of toys and overseas business for all Toys R Us stores. Wait, what, what do you mean? He's, what is interstate, interstate sales? It's like a bigger I, from company? From what I understand, like a, basically a, kind of like a holding company of sorts. Got it. Um, he becomes a head of toys for them. And here's the answer to your commercials. In 1969, Jeffrey the Giraffe Uh. is born. (gasps) Hey! Everyone's favorite giraffe. Jeffrey the Giraffe. How old is Jeffrey then? He's gonna be old. He's gonna be 70 next year. Crazy. Dang, Jeff. Getting up there. 69. I can't do math. Nice. 60. (laughs) Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, he is an evolution of a previous giraffe that Lazarus had put together, who's a more serious giraffe. Do you have a guess as to what his name is? Richard. I will, I'll give you a clue. All of the clues you need are in what I have already told you. Jeffrey the giraffe, a more serious giraffe. Uh... <laughs> Jeez, I mean, Richard's a good guess. Okay. I've got another guess. Do you give up? Oh, what's, what's your other guess? Dr. Jeffrey the Giraffe. <laughs> you are Jeffrey very MD. close. <laughs> Am I? Dr. G-Raff. Whoa. Oh, my God. I'm so good. <laughs> so you, you think like, hey, this is a great time to be alive. It's 1969. <laughs> nice. There's a Dr. Giraffe partying toys were surrounded by them but let me tell you <laughs> wait did they talk not... about what he was a doctor in yeah was this like phd or mm, MD? right i don't but if i had to guess 
I would guess um, rhinoplasty. Okay. Because okay. it's another animal fun. And, oh, <laughs> I thought it was because giraffes have big noses. <laughs> oh, no, that Oh, my too. God. Anyway. They do. <laughs> all is not well in the state of Denmark. Things are actually very gloomy for Charles Lazarus and interstate oh, no. sales. But it's time for a break. We're going to talk about Jeffrey. <laughs> that was, it was supposed to be kind of a whole song, but it didn't work as well as I thought it would. What happened? I don't know. I really fell on my face. Oh, no. Um, Wait, I thought things were going badly. Are we going to oh, go no, back to are, that? So things are going badly. We're going to get back to that, though. This, it's called a cliffhanger. This is okay. an interstitial where we're going to talk just about Jeff. Sidebar on Jeff. And it's spelled Jeff as in Jeff Keeley. Which right? Well, I, a lot of people might not know G- how that's spelled. G E O F F, right? Yes. Uh, yes. K E I G H L E Y. That's how you spell Jeffrey. E X L U C. Wait, U S I V E. That's how you spell exclusive. Do, do they? I guess. Does it? Does do they discuss why they spelled it like that? Just because yeah. G- giraffe. With a G. Oh, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Right? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the story. A lot of this is from uh, advertisingweek.com. Um, he first appears in print throughout the 60s. He gets his first TV commercial in 1975. Have and you seen, like, original designs of him? Has he, like, changed that dramatically? Well, before he became Jeffrey, he looks... Well, actually, I think it was the first version of Jeffrey also is, like, very animal-like. Like it's like, oh, you're a giraffe. Oh, yeah. Oh, but okay. with, then, like, a, a mirror on his head. A mirror a on his head? <laughs> with you know, because doctors have on. that weird mirror thing. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes, the circle mirror. Um, he gets his first TV commercial in 1975. The same year he gets a family, because this is apparently a thing any character in the 1970s had to have, just like Mr. Potato Head. Uh, his wife is named Gigi. Um, That's weird. Yeah, and his son and daughter are named Junior and my favorite Baby G. Baby G. <laughs> um, Jeffrey gets a boy band cover comb over. Um, cover. <laughs> I mean, it is like a Justin Bieber looking clown. It is an embarrassing comb. This over is haircut. the seventies, mid seventies. You said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, does he, and he, have, like, does he have like is it like a david cassidy thing maybe i mean it looks Leathered just hair. like teenage justin bieber but he has yeah. like two little tiny horns like in wait okay the antenna. so does he just have hair or does he also have clothes <laughs> does he just have <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna go down that one um, wait i have another question is it is he wearing two sets of pants or is it one set of pants with four legs in it Honestly, I I don't know. I I'm like now Toys R Us Jeffrey 1978. Let's see, 1979. Let's see what we get. Uh he he's wearing clothes and everything I see. It appears almost like MC Hammer pants. Um, oh my god. But he's standing up. Like he's Oh no, no. So actually I think he doesn't wear pants at first. I think he wears like a like red and white striped jacket like he's in like kind of a acapella group sure but what i'm saying is he's humanoid which is to say he's not like he, giraffe he stands, shaped anymore well he's giraffe shaped but he does stand on his back two feet okay 
I mean, he's a giraffe. Okay, that's very not giraffe shaped. Wait, so he's (laughs) still like a giraffe just on two legs. Yes, correct. Um, Okay. In the 80s, um, they they, they started appearing like as mascots at stores. So they they moved IRL. Um, That must have been tough to find people that were tall enough. They'd get multiple people on like each other's shoulders. <laughs> it's like a casting note. Looking for six foot tall man and woman with eight foot long neck. Um, this is from Advertising Week. When they weren't celebrating a new Toys R Us store opening, they could be found traveling in the Jeffrey Mobile, a double decker bus fueled on potato chips, and residing at their home, a lighthouse in New England. Oh, a lighthouse. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, I mean, they wouldn't tall. have a lot of room to move around, but headroom yeah. wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, oh that God. does make sense. I, I like that the double-decker bus is fueled on potato chips, which I guess the grease. Yeah. Maybe that it's works. It's like ethanol before ethanol. Mm, I guess that's more environmentally friendly, maybe? Yeah. Ethanol is not environmentally friendly. <laughs> okay, um, well, neither is gas. So, 1999. <laughs> we're, we're bouncing forward real far here. Uh... Toys R Us wanted Jeffrey to now represent kids, so they redesigned him to be younger and just, like, retconned his entire family. Oh, <laughs> <just> no. <laughs> they just dumped all the like, kids and I life. like to imagine it as, like, a real meeting where he's, like, going in. He's been with the company for, what, 30 years now? And he goes, and like, oh, hey, Jeff, um, so nice to see you. Uh, you've been doing great work. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, by the way, uh, we're going to cut your hair to make you look younger, and we're going to do a little bit of plastic work on you. And he's like, great, great, great. Um, also, your wife and children have been killed. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Thanks, boss. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and he just walks out of the room and has to, like, crane his neck all the way down to his feet on the way out. <laughs> he tries to cry, oh, but his hooves keep hitting his eyes. <laughs> um, so 2001, fortunately, two years later, they go even further. They make Jeffrey animatronic. And interesting uh. trivia in here, created by Stan Winston Studios, who are oh. uh, best known for The Thing, Terminator, Aliens, Jurassic Park. So they went, they went big. Um, trivia... Who is the voice of the animatronic version of Jeffrey the Giraffe? Well, well let, me, let me ask real quick. Where did this live? In stores did it live? or it, On commercials. Oh, in commercials. Mm-hmm. Who is the voice? Um, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Good guess, good <laughs> guess. Uh, oh, my God. I bet it's like, what's his name? Like Peter Lind or something? That guy was on Hollywood Square. <laughs> Paul Lind? Sure. Paul Lind. Paul, Paul Lind. Allegra's um, 69 years old, by the way. <laughs> this is also not fair, because you would have never guessed, because I didn't know this person was real. <laughs> Jim Hanks. The brother of Tom Hanks. No way! What? Who has 73 credits on IMDb as an actor, many of which are playing the roles of Tom Hanks, other characters, in video games. Hey, Whoa. Woody sure sounds like Tom Hanks in Disney Infinity 3.0. That's because it's Jim Hanks. That's brilliant. This is what like a gig. How Bill Murray has a brother that no one He has one, many like, brothers. He has that one brother, though, who does the same thing. Brian Dwan Murray? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. Um, okay, so uh, 2007, he becomes a flat cartoon again. Now his stars, uh, he has spots 
that are turned into stars. Does that make sense? Like the spots on his yeah, skin. His, yeah, his stars, spots yeah. aren't spots, they're stars. Yeah, Jesus. thank you. So they um, like tattooed his body too. Oh man, that's real dark. Yeah. <laughs> At this point he's like, there's nothing only to live for. Do what you must <laughs> to me. I am just a shell. Um, last year they collected all, all these old commercials together. This is just a bonus detail. And it featured a version of the song, the, the Toys R Us theme song. Maybe yeah. you can like cut that in. I don't know. I don't want to grow up on the Toys R Us kid. Yeah, that one. It's sung by Jenny Lewis, who apparently <gasps> appears in one of the old commercials as a kid. Oh. And in that same commercial, Julia White. Oh. oh my god, what a cast. I uh, feel like that was a very common um I saw a few commercials I feel like where it was like there'd be a little kid singing like from the 70s and then they'd flash forward to show that the kid is still singing the same song. Yeah. In a really twisted time travel thing. <laughs> but like they used the same actor, they just brought them back 30 years later because yeah. they're still a Toys R Us kid even after all these years. Yeah, it's like the What's Up commercial. In Do like you guys know all the lyrics to the song? Because I think I know all of the lyrics. I know the 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 trashy when I was in elementary school version of it. Well, I don't know that that's you appropriate you for have our that? audience. I don't. I don't. I don't wanna, know. I don't know that. I don't want to throw up, but I um, already did. I made no. it to the toilet, but not to the lid. <laughs> no. Oh my god! I wish I knew that. That's what? terrible. That's like every kindergarten memory i have i want to know what bikes to trains changes into (laughs) that's a great question um okay are y'all ready to go back into the no because i know it's sad well no i'm excited it's gonna be sad and it's gonna be happy again and so what you're saying is that he's gonna maybe die and then come back to life in the spirit of his name it's 1974 lazarus interstate (laughs) sales files for bankruptcy it turns out while Acquiring Toys R Us and Lazarus was a great move. They weren't very good at pretty much everything else. <laughs> um, so they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, Lazarus talks his way into overseeing the company for this period. He essentially sells off what isn't working, basically everything, uh, and emphasizes the toy stores. And it goes well. By 1978, Interstate Sales just becomes Toys R Us. Like, it's... wow. Corporate identity is Toys R Us. Um, early on, um, Lazarus is, is doing. Well, let me let me ask a question about the cor- yes. corporate identity in like Please. contracts and stuff like that. Is the R backwards? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm gonna guess no. Um, yeah, probably not. Would, right? Yeah, probably not. Because typewriters probably didn't have a backwards but R. You'd have to like left... flip the paper around. They probably like left a blank space though, and then you would just have to handwrite in Toys R Us. Yeah. Okay. Mm, how convenient. <laughs> <laughs> um so lazarus is doing a number of things that are very smart at this point um one of the biggest ones is he's using computerized inventory super early on in the period of like actually computerizing your inventory um this is like the com- competitive advantage of his time uh, is that why they had those tickets in the store and you'd like take the ticket up to the front i don't think that was specifically it i think they had the tickets because they didn't want you to steal video games um because they didn't have the tickets for every toy it was just that's true expensive stuff yeah um but the advantage here is like he could see all of the inventory across all of his stores and like see very quickly what was about to like pop off 
and then use that to his advantage in terms of like how he restocks and also the deals he brokers with toy distributors you know get something cheap before it's like clear that it's going to be a hit um he opens up kids are us in 1983 it's a children's boutique which there isn't really anything quite like it at that scale at the time um he also was doing uh this thing where he would create the value of he create this perception of low price across the board even when it isn't actually there and this is a thing that amazon kind of does today from what i can tell uh here's a description of that and this is from entrepreneur for instance in 1977 an electronic game called simon maybe you've heard of it love um, it was one of the most popular toys on the market it was also in short supply while some stores took advantage of the demand and charged more than 30 dollars for the game lazarus charged less than 20 dollars why because no he figured, no well that's a good no. guess he figured <laughs> that shoppers would believe everything else in the store must also be bargain price oh. so it's something that everybody was saying people are going wow that's a what a steal the most popular game is cheaper i bet i don't even have to like price check everything else it also presumably like gets people in the store because you know this is the hot toy and once they're in there they'll spend more money for yeah. sure and here's something related to video games um Love Lazarus them. spotted the value of them before, like, almost everybody else, um, especially for toy stores. Uh, this is from the post. There's an entire chunk on this. The electronic games business, in his view, is not just a passing fancy, a position that makes Lazarus a popular figure at places like Warner Communications Inc., parent company for Atari, the field's leader. We strongly believe that electronic games are not a fad. It is the way America is playing games now and will increasingly do so in the future, he told a retail seminar in New York City. Uh, the retail profit in the electronic games bonanza is not in the hardware, which Lazarus, like most other retailers, sells for almost no markup. What drives the retail end of that business is the software, the games and the programs that plug into the home system. Um, he, basically, he also recognized that the board game arena was collapsing. So wisely he shifted the prospect to video games uh which at the time you have to remember like video games were not predictably good it seems what obvious is this like now. 81 at this point yeah this is like mid 80s into early 90s um sure. yeah he he definitely saw it way way ahead of time i mean i i, I don't know allegra did you have the experience of going to toys r us for video games yeah, I was about to ask, when was the uh, R-Zone a thing? The I'm sorry, what? I actually almost did a spit take. What? It was called the R-Zone! I know what the R-Zone is, but only because I had to use the Times Square Toys R Us at one point and had to walk into the R-Zone and I hated it. Oh, maybe walk it was me only through there. the R-Zone. It's oh a modern God. thing. Okay, can I just tell you, because mm. it changed my life, to answer your question. So oh, at okay. the Toys R Us in Times Square... Uh, the really big one with the Ferris wheel. Um, they had a really big, specifically like games. I think they also had DVDs in there, but it was like kind of like an arcade in Toys R Us where you could go try a bunch of games. So they would have like the GameCube, the Xbox, the PS2, and they would be playing like they would have demos of Super Mario Sunshine. And I played sneakers about that rat or whatever on Xbox. <laughs> like They had like the big new kids games um, that you could just go try out. And it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know if that existed outside of that one, because that was the only time I saw it. Yeah. Oh, well, it was awesome. In, wait, so your, your memory of buying toys at Toys R Us is as a grown-up? 
No, no. No, this is GameCube. She was talking about GameCube games, so clearly oh, not. Oh, yeah, I guess that, 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 that tracks. I was like eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, thank you. Uh, um, I bought, I bought toys, uh, video games at Toys R Us. And, and what was your experience like? Um, well, I had a very memorable experience and an experience that I'm a little bit ashamed of. Okay. Which one do you want first? <laughs> well, uh, let's start with the memorable and then the ashamed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Memorable would be um, I had been waiting for Ocarina of Time for three <laughs> years. Shut up. For three years. <laughs> Mario and, loves Ocarina. And they were... <laughs> And they were, had the gold cartridges, oh, which, yeah. you, if you recall, the like limited edition gold yeah. version of the game. That was Toys R Us had that, and uh, I pre-ordered it, and I was so excited, and I got there, and there was a huge line, and they were almost out, but I was able to get one, and I was very, very happy. Nice. And I went home, and I played it, and I loved it. And then I had another experience where, I guess, after the thrill of Ocarina of Time had run out. I decided I needed another N64 game, and the game that I decided to get was Gex 64. Oh. <laughs> and if you've ever played Gex 64, it's terrible. It's not not good at all. And when I had purchased Gex 64, it was right at the beginning of when they stopped taking game returns because people would like play the game for a hot minute and then go to return it when it was. And, uh, yeah, in my situation, I unfortunately, well, I went and re- went to return Gex 64 and they're like, no, we don't take returns. And then I had to make up some like really involved excuse of like the cartridge didn't work. And they're like, we'll give you another one. And I was like, no, it like it melted my N64 through, <laughs> <laughs> through the floor. Wow. And I had to make don't a, own like, one anymore. a really involved thing. For, for the poor guy that was working at Toys R Us to just be like, whatever, kid, just get whatever you want. I don't care anymore. <laughs> so not, not the, my highest point, but I, I do want to be honest because it's important in this world. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing sure, that sure. publicly. Um, now that I know you're a criminal, um, <gasps> it's the police. <laughs> oh, no. Apparently it's Mario. It's police. the giraffe police. <laughs> um okay so it's 1990 now Uh, he's done all these things they have worked great the toy industry is worth 12 billion dollars have we already Uh, passed the teddy ruxpin phase yes it's gone goodbye it was a huge hit the the cabbage patch kids big real big um okay problem problem with teddy ruxpin i do want to say real quick uh is that his batteries would run out really fast and he'd start talking really slowly and it would creep me out to no end he was really creepy yeah quick question so the toy industry is like worth 12 billion dollars so were there other like super mega like chains at this point so that were rivaling toys r us no toys that that is the thing and i'll get to that in a second uh i i get to that in just a hot moment but basically it's dominated by toys r us so it's worth 12 billion dollars a lot of that is toys r us by comparison in 1950 the industry was worth 500 million dollars so big change um at 1993 he uh lazarus is expanding it it's international um australia belgium netherlands portugal switzerland i I believe they had actually moved into shanghai and canada in the 80s too um and it's great 
And then he's like, in Russia, it would be great because it with Cyrillic, the R wouldn't even look backwards. No, oh, and you know the problem with uh, Toys R Us in Russia, though. What in 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 Russia, Toys R U. I knew you were gonna do that <laughs> terrible joke. I knew it. God, Toys R Us. <laughs> okay, we are toys. <laughs> um. Okay, so everything's great. 1994, Lazarus is like, yep, time to retire. Surely everything will go well now. Passes the title uh, of CEO to Michael Goldstein. Um, he becomes, uh, Lazarus becomes chairman emeritus and represents the company internationally still. So he's still kind of going around and being like, hey, what's up? Uh, it's me, the Toys R Us guy. And they're like, great. Everything's good. Everything's going to be totally okay. Um, Unfortunately, that is a lie. In the late 1990s and 2000s, um, Toys R Us begins to feel the heat from other big box stores. Walmart, Costco, they just start putting toys in there too. Um, and by the like 2010s, Toys R Us is competing with Amazon and online retail, yeah. which can just stack things up. And things just get messy after he leaves. So this kind of answers... Uh, your question, Allegra, uh, about its scope. This is from a book called Retailing um, by Patrick M. Dune, uh, Robert F. Lush, and James R. Carver. The term category killer derives from its marketing strategy. Carry a large amount of merchandise in a single category at such low prices that it makes it impossible for customers to walk out without without purchasing what they need, thus killing the competition. Toys R Us, which began operations in 1948 and became publicly traded in 1978, was the first category killer. Sadly, the company also has the unfortunate distinction of being the largest category killer to fail. Um, In 2005, the entire company, in an attempt to avoid bankruptcy, was sold to a group of investors as it and other independent toy retailers suffered from highly competitive toy merchandising efforts from Walmart and, uh, and Target. Uh, these two discounters introduced brutal low prices year-round on limited selection of toys, but during the all-important holiday shopping season when busy parents were already in the discount stores, they found a triple or quadruple-sized toy section. So they would just artificially grow when yeah. needed it the most. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there's also the problem of like kids just moving to electronic toys. Um, so, March so, 2017... So you don't think it was... like. More, like in my mind i'm thinking it's predominantly the internet that killed toys r us i think yeah i mean i think that's like a larger conversation about everything like all of it media uh and entertainment Be- that like well but now- amazon for retail in particular like amazon in a way is the category killer for everything, everything. ever because it's like you could just get everything and yeah. amazon represents both tangibles and non-tangibles like i think yeah. that's an important distinction um I, I, I do think things like the internet and, like, being able to download games. I, we're going to see this with GameStop. We're already seeing it, right? That, like, yeah. brick-and-mortar retailers and hard-copy retailers are going to struggle to compete with digital retailers. Right. Um, that said, like, that doesn't mean these companies couldn't have gotten ahead of this. Like, I, I think that's, like, an important thing we're thinking about, right, is... Toys R Us at, at many different times was getting ahead of the competition in creative ways. Right, it could have yeah. died any of those years. 
getting creating the um the infrastructure was i think kind of a moment of survival moving into video games was a moment of survival uh, a lot of the, these companies just didn't pivot aggressively into the digital marketplace and here's another thing that i think is a really great point and this is actually a quote um i believe lazarus told the post in 1982 there's an increasingly fine line between where adult begins and child ends and like holy cow like that's the that's the answer to saving toys r us if you think about what who buys toys now it's like people our age the toy market yeah. is like those stupid head what is it funko funko funko, funko toys they're, yeah. they're pops yeah and, and people with nostalgia the problem with toys r us is like i have gone into a toys r us to buy a 3ds it was like a the the limited pokemon 3ds and just yeah. that saying that out loud is nearly as embarrassing as actually <laughs> doing it and like going into a toys r us you you just feel like without a child like i something is wrong like i uh, uh, something is wrong with me or i should not be here this is not a place designed for me any which way and i think the pivot for them would have been like changing the toys r us brand to making it a place that caters to like everybody um yeah but they they still have the issue of it being like a giant open huge. store that they have to pay real estate tax and whatever like property tax yeah, and for sure and, and there's just so like, like all i don't know those. how you recover from that yeah and that that is the other thing is like all big box stores right now are now facing that kind of threat like how do you right. compete with things like amazon that don't have that overhead cost right like can't largely yeah, it seems like, I don't know for sure, but it seems like Costco and Home Depot have done, like, okay, but a lot of that has to do, well, Costco in particular is sustained by their um, subscription model, right? Like, that's a yeah. lot of the reason why they do well. Yeah, no, I, I, so, I yeah, definitely think that is correct. There, there's, I wish I could find it. There's been a, a bunch of reporting on, like, the collapse of the big boxed store industry that is kind of happening right now um that i will leave people to find themselves uh i'm gonna here's what i think they should do yes can i just speculate on what they should do with all these stores i know it kind of went away for a while but laser tag is gonna come back (gasps) interesting can you like how amazing would that be is like a whole toys r us that was just laser tag that would be so fun make it happen (laughs) (laughs) okay um uh, i'm gonna credit a few people um, the entrepreneur story, Charles Lazarus, toy Titan, history.com's inside the raw rise and fall of toys R us, the Washington post everywhere. Um, they have done probably the most consistent reporting on toys R us over the past couple decades. Um, in advertisingweek.com, uh, they did a whole design evolution on Jeffrey, the giraffe. That is interesting. If you are curious about that, um, uh, one more bit of trivia before I get into uh, you read a listener, listener mail, it's called, listener anecdotes. What's this? Uh, reader reader only us. memories. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, a little bit of trivia. How many different toys did Toys R Us sell at its peak? Like, like different, different types of, of toys? toys? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say 150. <laughs> That's too low. Wait, what? are we talking about no, no, like? We're, we're is, talking about wait, wait, wait! All, it, this is all 
it skews. We're not talking about like, okay. oh, right, not like, like types. If you had 20 different like, basketballs, that would count as 20 types or right. 20 toys. Oh, wait, what? So, like, yeah. the full-on number of toys no, they had well, what, 20 different brands of basketballs. Not like... Like, Snakehead uh, Man uh, and G.I. Joe are two different products. Tw- yes, okay. correct. Wait, I'm going to switch those numbers around. I'm going to say 510. Oh, my God. She's so low. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Allegra? <laughs> you get, they, they sell 510 take, video take, games take at more, any given time. Yeah, one more guess. <laughs> Wait, okay. Okay, I'm going to say 5,100. Okay, fresh. What's okay, she's she's getting closer. I would have guessed initially. My thought was five thousand. Toys R um, Us sold yeah. eighteen thousand different toys wow. in fourteen hundred and fifty <laughs> locations around the globe, and controlled twenty five percent of the world's toy market. So you're saying it was more so than one hundred and fifty? So it was more than five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay let, let's get into reader only memories you gotta say it with like a song in your heart <laughs> okay so fresh wants me to like say people's twitter usernames but this does not entirely work so right now i have i have a memory from nick horowitz whose twitter handle is z t i w o r o h how the hell am i supposed to say that fresh <laughs> ziddy waro Z- <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> you're punished um so uh nick Corwitt says so when i was maybe five years old for some reason i thought it would be really cool to play the lottery question mark so my mom let me pick numbers for one of the pick three tickets while we were at the grocery store and it turns out i wound up winning us like eight hundred dollars whoa my mom told me i would get to spend quote all of it on a trip to toys r us and i was so jazzed i wound up walking away with a game boy game and a big Play-Doh set, and it dawned on me like 20 years later that there was absolutely no way that was $800 (laughs) worth of stuff. (laughs) So basically that was when I realized that parents don't always tell their kids the truth. Um, The Play-Doh set had Sforsky crystals in it, so it makes sense. uh, (laughs) This is uh, from at Amosis? Do whatever you got to do, Chris yeah, I, I enjoy um, just bothering you. Okay. Uh, James, I remember buying my Game Boy Color at Toys R Us, being so excited that the paper cards in the display indicated they're in stock. I proudly took my game selection and card to the register and waited for that Atomic Purple Beauty to be delivered. Oh, um, yes, the Atomic Purple. I loved it. Yeah, I. I th- this is from... Uh, Chris Dwyer, when I was eight, I had surgery done on my mouth where they extracted a tooth from my gums, but I was awake the whole time. I just couldn't feel it. And after my mom took me to uh, Toys R Us where I got an Optimus Primal toy and played Mario 64, and it was one of the best days ever. Uh, my mouth was numb and presumably bleeding, and I felt weird, but this one ruled. <laughs> oh. Presumably bleeding. <laughs> um, Fun story. I That was similar to my experience because having a cleft lip and palate i had like 25 surgeries of varying degree so my parents all that was always our thing whenever i had a surgery i remember that i got diehard arcade one day and i feel bad about it now because i actually had some really bad like full-on like panic attack mental breakdowns over like having to be in the hospital so much but one day i was like man it really works 
Um, and I I just had to go to the orthodontist, and afterwards I was like, I really want Die Hard Arcade. So I kind of performed a breakdown where I was oh, like, Oh, this is no. so rough. I always have to be going to the orthodontist, and like my entire childhood is spent in a hospital. <gasps> and my no. mom was like, Oh, like what what can we do? You're just like panicking. I was like, I don't know. I just feel like the only thing that would make me happy is Die Hard Arcade on the Sega Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is definitely worse than my Gex story. Um, no, your Gex story is bad. Your Gex story is that's criminal. Yeah, no, that's it true. isn't. It's illegal. No, they got the game back. It's not like I didn't give them the game back. But you weren't supposed to return it at all, Ross. Yeah, but it's illegal for them to sell me a game, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Makes me uh, angry. This is from uh, at Mimoy Tortas. Uh, going there was a huge deal because there wasn't one in my town. Went with a friend, bought some slimy toy that deliberately smelled like garbage, put it in a drawer and forgot about it. Uh-oh. It melted in the drawer, and I could never open it again because it smelled so horrific. Oh, garbage man, the toy. Um, I I was also surprised how many people shared stories of like events at Toys R Us. Here, here's one from uh Daniel Weimals. I hope I got that right, Daniel. Um, when I was a kid, uh, Toys R Us had an official Pokemon League where kids had a safe place to play Pokemon card battles against each other. My parents would drop me off. Wait, there. I want to pause for a second and just imagine the unsafe place where kids were playing Pokemon cards otherwise. <laughs> All of them. You have to be guarded. People are going to steal your Mewtwo. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. My, my parents would drop me off there every Saturday morning, and it truly was the highlight of my week. I think that probably is what the safe space is referring to. Like, Safe yes. enough that your parents could drop you off somewhere on a Saturday. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, they had even had employees play the role of gym leaders that you were allowed to square off against when you had a solid enough deck that you thought you had a shot of winning. They gave oh, out great. enamel pin badges of the original eight gyms from Red Blue, which Whoa. was such a cool attention to detail. Little did I know that enamel pins would come back into fashion. I really wish I kept them. Um, true. I, now I'm going to be like all over eBay trying to find that. Um, same, uh, Pazuzu uh, at that Pazuzu, um, getting a free small <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh pin because I helped teach a lot of other kids how to play during the weekend tournaments. So I, I don't remember any of this as a kid. I don't remember Toys R Us being like a hang. Like a kid's club. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, it, I, and, and I guess like that idea of like getting certain Pokemon was common um, at Vaxtrino, I remember going to one fairly early in the morning so my stepbrother and I could get Mew on our copies of Pokemon Red Blue. I guess that had been going on from the beginning. I also distinctly wow. remember their displays, like the huge wall of board games, and how the one near me always had a Lisa Frank display in the front. That sounds like a very good Toys R Us. <laughs> Who doesn't love Lisa Frank? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many good ones on, on this original tweet, which maybe we can bury in the description so people can can scroll through and and see some of these stories that people have shared um i got here's another one one second i'll read this to you um this is like relatively recent so we'll end on that uh this is from uh at serena midori this is kind of recent but still the biggest reason why i love toys r us so much when the switch first came out i was freaking out trying to buy one from a store and not from any scalpers. When I walked into my local store, some teen working there told me they never, they never sold switches in the brick and mortar stores. It was only online. 
Needless to say, I was so frustrated, I tweeted about it, tagging the Toys R Us Twitter, asking, uh, is this true? Their customer service Twitter asked me to DM them with my issue in the location of my store, and they'd help me. So in the span of the day, I was treated with patience and respect, got to talk to the manager of my local store, and she went out of her way to call another store, ship over a switch, and hold it for me. She didn't have to do it, but it goes to show what a great place Toys R Us was. Yeah, because she was the only customer at that store anymore, because no one was shopping at Toys R Us. Sad! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no! Toys R Us was a nice place. I have a it lot of nice. memories. It was nice. That's that was the problem, though, is oh, that they had no customers. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I have one one last one. This is from Matt Paparaki. Um, a manager kicked me out of a Toys R Us for refusing to leave the Nintendo 64 kiosk and let others play. Some six years later, that same manager at that same store hired me. She clearly didn't remember. <gasps> Oh my god. That's charming. Yes, yes. Um cool. So that's been that's been an episode all about Toys R Us. Thank you, Chris Plan. It was lovely. Oh, oh, I we didn't even say the thing. Like it's done. And also this is very sad. Charles Lazarus passed away this month. Yeah. I can't believe we really buried the tragic part. Well, uh, well let me just ask real quick, like what exactly happened this week that like sealed the deal? For Charles Lazarus dying? I don't know. No, no, no. I mean, for Toys R Us. For Toys R Us. It went bankrupt. It went bankrupt. Oh, yeah. So it went bankrupt in March 2017. (laughs) And it's just been gradually um, writing that out into complete shuddering. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. I mean, yeah, he had a good run at least, right? I think so. There are so many of like the write-ups around his passing that are like, oh, the rise and extreme fall. But like the dude retired in 1993. You know, I don't was, associate the fall of old. Toys R Us. Yeah, his time at Toys R Us is kind of like impeachable, right? Like, yeah, it's great. He did a great job. And then, it's hard like, to imagine like how many companies last as long as Toys R Us did and, and made as scale. much of an impact. Yeah, and like evolved that much. I, 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 I am not a fan of all these people who are like, oh man, he, he didn't save it. It's like the guy was old. He fought in World <laughs> War II. Give him a break. Like, let him like retire in peace right anyway retire in peace wow that is a sad word um <laughs> thank uh, you retire all right that's depressing um thank you chris plan and thank you allegra as usual thanks and thank you to everyone at home for listening to the history of fun we really appreciate all uh the listeners and all the um all the great stories that you guys have shared, it really does mean a lot to us. And it's very exciting to hear people sharing their own personal experiences. Keep an eye on Twitter. Uh, you should follow all three of us. I'm at Russ Frustic. Chris Plant is at Plant. And Allegra is at Legs Frank. Is there an underscore in there? No. I feel like you just don't know what my Twitter username is. It's possible. <laughs> uh, but, but make sure you follow all of us because as we have new topics coming up, we will petition uh, our followers for stories to share and then maybe we can read your story on uh, an episode and it's very exciting. You can share with all your friends and say how proud you are that your tale of stealing Gex from Toys R Us is now permanent record. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, also uh, feel free to review us on um, the uh, Apple, I was going to say Apple Music, Apple Podcast Store, and uh, all that good stuff. Um, we'll be back next week for more History of Fun. Until then, uh, thank you for listening to the History of Fun, where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Auto-tune. Yeah.